um, it all began when uh, I thought, as director of the European uh, Council on European Studies, which embraces both all of Europe, Western Europe, all the way across to what used to be called Russia and Eastern Europe. Um, it's still Eastern Europe, probably. It's ex-Soviet Union, but not ex-Eastern Europe. And so uh, immediately came to my attention that Jan Gross's new book had just uh, appeared this summer, and that he was a very important both scholar and um, voice in public debate these days, and it really was a good idea to invite him to come to Yale. So we went back and forth by email, and we troubled and um, brought our heads together. We found a date, we found a time, everything was set up, we arranged, we agreed, we have a wonderful administrator, everything was in the system, it was all, all sort of sending online, emails were flying, and we were, no, we can't tell people about something too far in advance, so just as it's approaching the time, we start to advertise. Lo and behold, we get an email from another part of Yale University, the Institute for the Study of Anti-Semitism, people would say this more precisely, saying on this very same day, at this very same time, we have invited Professor Anthony Polanski to speak on the subject of John Rose. <laughs> 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 this demonstrates on the one hand the, the essential chaos of Yale, and on the other hand the essential reality of intelligent design. Someone up there organized two events at the same time on the same subject. And we, being more intelligent than the intelligent designer, decided, well, we will bring them together and have them talk to each other. And not surprisingly, given it was the same subject, they actually know each other and have talked to each other before in public, probably also in private. So that is the reason that there are two sponsors for this uh, event, and, and the sponsor, the other half of the sponsors will introduce this half of the event, so to speak, so that we will all, all learn about this other um, part of Yale, which actually I know very little about myself. Um, so, uh, the format will be that uh, well, the subject of today's discussion is uh, provoked by the works of Jan Gross, Professor Gross, now which we submitted, and the format will be that the discussant, Professor Polanski, will initiate the event by uh, speaking for 15 or 20 minutes, and then Professor Gross will then speak for another 15 minutes, and then they will be able to um, exchange ideas or reply to each other, or have some kind of um, exchange, dialogue, for however much it makes sense to have it. And then we will also open the floor to discussion and questions and remarks on the floor, keeping in mind that it's a dialogue, it's a discussion. So we want questions posed and back and forth. And at the center of attention, um, on this, for this afternoon's event is, in fact, uh, I'm sure Professor Rose would be really upset if I said the center of attention left him, but I will say that the center of attention is his work. And uh, Jan Gross is currently the Norman B. Tomlinson class of, uh -oh, class of 1916 and 1948 professor of war and society at Princeton University. Um, before then, he, uh, has, he has taught at, also at other institutions. Before then, he was at NYU, New York University. He's also taught at Emory, um, at Yale, and various other universities in, in Europe. Um, Jan Gross came to the United States from Poland, from Warsaw, in 1969, at a moment of political turmoil in Poland. And having lived in Poland, he thought that the best place to end up on the other side of the ocean was Yale. And he got then his PhD in sociology at Yale in 1975. 
His dissertation um, was then later published um, as a book, Polish Society Under German Occupation. It appeared in 1979 and was followed uh, almost 10 years later by Revolution from Abroad. Now, these books uh, in 1988 for a historian, I'm a historian of Russia, are really important books. Not only for the information they bring to bear, but for the way they are written. This is a sociologist writing about history. He has a conceptual framework, and they are parallel books. They are books about the two different occupations of Poland under the Stalin-Hitler Pact, and it's an analysis of how these powers impinge and penetrate on the society that they are occupying. So they are they are a pair. They're twins, and they are a remarkable intellectual achievement, in my opinion, and a model for historians. Um, I don't want to speak for sociologists. Anyway, they are very stimulating, and they are both, they are not argumentative, they, they are thought-provoking. Um, however, the, the piece of writing and scholarship uh, that by Professor Grosset has been the most provoking and thought-provoking and politically provoking is his book called Neighbors, which appeared in 2001. And here um, he examines, instead of a broad conceptual problem, a microcosm, a case study, in this case the horrible event um, during World War II in which the Jews of a certain town in Bosnia were murdered collectively by their own Polish neighbors. And although this had been known locally, it was not alone, it was not really publicized in Poland. And the publication of this book in English and in Polish and the debate that it aroused really started a whole public discussion in Poland. And it is not every historian, least of all every academic historian, who can say that he or she has intervened in the public debate in a really productive and important and historical way. So Yevadne, and I'm sure this will come up in the discussion, is itself a historical event. Um, however, the book um, that provoked me or inspired me to invite him on this occasion is his second book on a similar, in a similar format. And this book appeared only this summer. It is called Fear. And in this book, uh, Professor Gross examines another atrocity, this time after the war, this time the first atrocity occurred under the aegis of the Germans occupying. Here we have after the war the Germans are defeated, Jews are uh, either returned to Poland or returned to their places of origin, and there is a, as we say in Russian history, a pogrom, in which, is, this is the famous Celta pogrom, an event which is not unknown, but here light is shown upon it in great detail and in, in dimension, and it's an argument that emerges from this book. It has not yet been published in, Pol in Polish, I don't know whether it has yet entered into Polish also civic discourse. So, young um, is both, you know, what we would all like to be sort of part of our fantasy lives as historians, as scholars, and serious engagement with the sources and problems of history, and also, to some extent, have an effect on how people think about the past and the present. And the theme that is engaged, of course, in all in this recent work is the relationship between Jews and Poles under the pressure of the war and the post-war period. And that is the format for today's discussion. And that is why these two discussants can sit together at the same table under the aegis of the Council on European Studies and the Center for the Study of Antisemitism and talk about, um, I think, on the occasion of this book, which is subtitled Antisemitism in Poland after Auschwitz. So it is my enormous pleasure to welcome Jan Gross and his interlocutor, Anthony Polanski, and turn the podium over to uh, my colleague, Charles Small. So thank you. Um, so just a brief few words about the Yale Initiative for the Interdisciplinary Study of Antisemitism for those who don't know about it. We were just launched in September. Uh, we run a seminar series and we're going to be housing uh, research projects and the sort 
So for people who don't know about us, if you want to receive our emails, we send out emails regularly in a newsletter about issues of anti-Semitism, mostly contemporary anti-Semitism, I'd be happy to take your, your names down. So this is a new program. It's actually the first at a North American university that's focused on the interdisciplinary study of anti-Semitism. So it's a great honor to be a part of this event, and I'll be very quick and brief. I would like to introduce to you Professor Bobanski. He is the Albert uh, Abramson Professor of Holocaust Studies at Brandeis University. He also has an appointment at the Holocaust Museum of the United States. Professor uh, Bolanski is uh, an expert in the subject of Polish history and Polish-Jewish history in particular. I won't go into the amount of books and articles that he's created, sorry, written. Um, prolific writer. He recently just uh, received a very prestigious award in Poland called the Felix Scharf Statuette, which is an award for scholars who are engaged in preserving the legacy of Jewish, um, Polish Jewish history. He's also uh, edited a book um, dealing with the issue of neighbors, which Professor Gross wrote, called The Neighbors a Response where he has a, an edited volume of collected essays responding to the important works of Professor Gross. So it's really an honor to invite, to introduce Professor Polanski. Well, the center of today's discussion is obviously Jan Gross, and I feel a little embarrassed speaking first, but when I heard that we were both speaking on the same day, I saw that I felt that it was no way we could except by doing it together. Um, what we are looking at today is the question of Polish-Jewish relations and Polish-Jewish attempts at Polish-Jewish understanding. But this phrase, Polish-Jewish, in a way, highlights what the problem is, because after all, Jews were citizens of Poland. And the problem was that in some sense, the Jews were not considered uh, as Poles. The two groups were separate. So what we should really be talking about is uh, Poles of Jewish origin and Poles of Christian and agnostic origin, and maybe some groups fall in between. And of course, there are also groups which uh, are, uh, can, neither, can be seen as neither of these groups. Jan uh, is an example of this. Jan has a very distinguished background. His grandfather was uh, representative of, in the Austrian Reichsrat of the so-called Club of Progressive Jews, elected mostly by non-Jews in Krakow. His maternal grandfather was a very well-known criminal lawyer who defended Jews, but who was not himself Jewish. So he is a person who illustrates or combines these problems. So what I'd like to do in the very short period at my disposal, because I really would like to be on the floor as well, is to look firstly at the way in which debates between Poles and Jews, uh, as I've, of terms which, which I'm not wholly comfortable, have developed, then to look at uh, the way in which these debates were transformed, firstly by the emergence of Jan's book, Neighbors, and now by his new book, uh, Fear, which of course hasn't yet come out in Polish, so the debates are really at an early stage. And then finally to say something about the question of resection. That is to say, historians write essentially by the historians, but there is also a wider audience for which, for which we all hope to reach. And I want to ask how far has this debate reached a wider audience, uh, particularly a bubble in Poland itself, but also uh, outside Poland. Now, 
The central question in what divides Poles and Jews today is essentially the past, or different views of the past. There are some other issues, for instance, the issue of property restitution, private property restitution, but this is a less important issue, and uh, although I'm not a particular sympathizer with the present Polish government, it, it is, does seem to be making some sort of an effort to deal with this issue, and this is, in my view, increasingly a marginal issue. So what really divides Poles and Jews is different views over the past, and particularly different views over the Second World War. The basic facts of what happened in Poland during the Second World War are clear. Uh, Poland was occupied uh, by very brutal regimes, both from the East and the West, and the uh, impact on Jewish life in Poland was disastrous. Of the three and a half million Polish Jews on the eve of the Second World War, barely 350,000 survived. Uh, smaller, the rate of survival was uh, lower than anywhere else except in the Baltic states. Now it's clear that the primary responsibility deaths of Jews in Poland during the war was caused by the Nazis, by the Nazi occupation and by the brutal policy carried out by the Nazis, uh, the implementation of the final solution. The reason that death camps were established in Poland was this was where the bulk of Jews were to be found. The reason why the major death camp was established in Oshvenshin, which in which most of the, people, the Jews who died were not only Polish Jews, but Hungarian and other Jews, was because this was a railway junction uh, at the heart of uh, the Nazi uh, in Europe. Nevertheless, although it's clear that the Nazis were overwhelmingly responsible for what happened to the Jews, this does not still a sense of Jewish grievance and a sense of Jew on the side of the Jews that the Poles uh, did not behave during the Second World War in a manner that was expected. Just to give one quotation here, Emmanuel Rimbaud, who the diarist who uh, was uh, uh, organized at the underground archive in the Warsaw Ghetto, and wrote a book on the Aryan side called Polish Jewish Relations during the Second World War. He wrote that the Polish government, people, and the government of the Republic of Poland were capable of deflecting the Nazi steamroller from its anti Jewish course. But the question is permissible whether the attitude of the Polish people befitted the enormity of the calamities that befell uh, the country's citizens. Was it inevitable that the Jews needed to hear laughter from wild mobs resounding from the other side of the ghetto rules? Did they really have to prevail such blank indifference in the face of the greatest tragedy of all time? I could repeat uh, such statements. These are essentially accusations, sense of grievance, which is very easily understood given the terrible situation in which the Jews found themselves. Polish responses to these accusations have taken two forms. On the one hand, there have been attempts to justify uh, Polish behavior and uh, apolog apologies for the behavior of Poles during the period. The best example of uh, apologetics, I think, is an article written some years ago, 1987, by a veteran member of the opposition, Vladislav Shilavitsky, in which essentially he argued that the situation of the Poles was such that they couldn't do significantly more uh, in order to aid the Jews. The obvious uh, example of uh, the attempt to apologize for Polish behavior is the well-known essay written by Jan Blonsky in the same year, 1987, the poor Poles look at the ghetto, in which he argued that uh, if only we had behaved more humanely in the past, had been wiser, more generous 
the genocide would perhaps have been less imaginable, would probably have been considerably more difficult to carry out, and almost certainly would have met with much greater resistance than it did. To put it differently, it would not have met with the indifference and moral turpitude of the society in whose full view it took place. Now, in the 90s, the debates on really took place within the framework set by Lloydsky and Shinovitsky. People, on the one hand, argued that conditions were such that the Poles could have done very little more to aid the Jews. On the other, people talked about the indifference towards Jewish suffering and the fact that in the period before 1939, uh, the Polish society had not created the conditions in which Jews could be part of Polish society, part of the Polish universe of obligation. And there were a series of debates during this uh, period uh, uh, examining uh, uh, this. Um, the debate, for instance, in Gazeta de in 1994, when the young historian Michal Chiki discussed uh, anti-Semitic activities uh, on the part of uh, insurgents during the Warsaw Uprising. It's an interesting comment on the present climate in Poland that Chiki has just written uh, an apology to the insurgents, while repeating the same statements about what took place. Uh, why he did this is an interesting question which we might discuss. Um, similarly, there was a, a, an important debate uh, uh, provoked by uh, an exchange between Fathers Muschel and Krostowski about the reaction of the Polish hierarchy to the anti-Semitic uh, utterances of Father Jankowski and a series of debates provoked by an article by a Polish sociologist, Hanna Schwiedersjemba, in Gazeta Wyborcza. In the 80s, these debates were all essentially moral and all essentially conducted by sociologists, anthropologists, and military critics rather than by historians. Two things changed in the 90s. First was the emergence of a group of Polish Jewish writers, writing in Polish, most of them either living in Poland or were left Poland in 68, who, tried, who described their own experiences during the Second World War, uh, living on the Aryan side. The most obvious example, I'm glad that Marcin shows in the audience, is Michal Globinski's Black Seasons, Marcin translated it as The Black Seasons, in my view the only defect in a very brilliant translation. Um, but this describes very well the, the difficult situation of those Jews on the Aryan side, and in Polish which spoke very much more effectively to Poles. There was also uh, a much greater historical investigation of these topics. There was a vast mass of material which looked at uh, the Polish-Jewish relationship, and it essentially uh, uh, came to the view as Maria Janion, a Polish sociologist, wrote in Dukati Podszewny, that by 1939, the majority of Polish society and the Polish political parties had come to the position that the, in quotation marks, uh, solution of the Jewish problem was the voluntary or compulsory removal of most Jews from Poland. Of course, there were a lot of people who didn't accept this. There's also the question of uh, what phase of the actual implementation, how widely would this policies, would these policies have been implemented? But that this was the case was why it created a, cons was a consensus among historians and uh, created a new climate of opinion. And this was the context in which Jan's uh, epoch-making book, Neighbors, which was first published in Polish uh, in 2000 and then in uh, English in the following year, appeared. Uh, it's tempting to say to class young with the same group of uh, Polish Jews uh, who came to write in the 1990s, uh, with the editors and the uh, new works of Henry Greenberg or uh, um, uh, uh, the uh, 
that seasons of Lubinsky. In a way, uh, he's part of that same generation, although he lived in 68. Um, now, the book, which is a short book, describes in brutal how the local population in this town of Yedravne murdered the overwhelming majority of the uh, of their Jewish neighbors. Almost the entire Jewish population, plus Jewish refugees from other localities, were driven out of their homes and murdered at the marketplace. Many were beaten to death with poles, brooms, and axes. Some were murdered at the Jewish cemetery. The vast majority uh, were, uh, uh, about 700, This uh, was put, the, the discussion of this was put together by Young on the basis of uh, the court reports and also of the depositions which were to be found in the Jewish Historical Institute. And this provoked a very large debate in Poland. And this debate took place on two levels. I want to talk first about the historical debate and then about the reception, because the historical debate, in my view, in many ways, is the more promising debate and the more important debate. The, the problem of the issues involved in the debates really revolve around, can be summed up under three issues. Firstly, there are disagreements about what actually happens in the environment. Secondly, there are differing contexts over the context of the massacre. And finally, there are arguments about its larger significance. And again, I have to summarize very quickly. I'm very eager to get Jan's response. The point, uh, the, the arguments about what happened in Yedvabne revolve around a number of questions. How many Jews were murdered? How many Poles took part? How much German incitement was there? And uh, there was a very important collection, a two-volume collection, published by the Institute of National Memory, which deals with a lot of these questions and which uh, I think pretty conclusively uh, uh, gives us most of the answers. If we start with how many Jews were murdered, I think Young can argue on this point that the figure of 1,600 is probably too high. Of course, from a moral point of view, it is of no significance whether it's 900 or 1,600, but one wants to get this correct. There were several other such incidents uh, in Vishnu and in Rajivul, but the figure of 900 is perhaps uh, more reliable, although we'll never know for sure. How many polls took part? The Institute for National Memory showed that a very large proportion of the adult male population took part, and that those who did not were subsequently treated very badly by the population. Indeed, the two families which attempted to help Jews, the Jesuits in particular, were forced to leave the town. In fact, uh, the last of the Jesuits, I assisted with his asylum application uh, to the United States, which I'm happy to say was successful. Uh, well, he got a green card. I mean, he, he, it's hard to seek asylum from Poland because he was given a green card and he couldn't remain as a farmer there because of the local pressure. His father was one of the people who sheltered um, the shul. Now, let me move on to the larger issues. The two, the larger issues are partly the question of um, how far was the massacre the result of the larger atmosphere, and secondly, how far was it the result of the Soviet occupation and the alleged Jewish collaboration with the Soviets. At the same time, there's also the, question, the, the, the context of the question, I, mean, I won't say anything about these, I think that Jan argues it's the first rather than the second, and I think that by and large that is correct, although since he wrote a book on the Soviet occupation of Eastern Poland, one could argue that the second uh, uh, had been dealt with elsewhere, and certainly was important, and the Soviets certainly 
widened and the eager to widen between the Poles and Jews. On the question of the implications or of the wider significance of the massacre, uh, the fact is that uh, um, what we're talking about here is um, firstly the question of collective guilt. Now, Young was accused by some of those who criticized his work of standing for or arguing for collective guilt. In fact, the passage at the end of the book where he says that the uh, neighbors were, uh, that the, the society was responsible was an attack on the two monuments in the town which falsified the history, one monument which referred to the murder of the Jews and said that they were murdered by the Germans, and another which referred to the members of the Wagner community who were killed 180 odd at, at the hands of the security forces, which was signed society. Young said to me in a discussion that we should have put society in inverted commas, which I think is true. The other two questions are questions which have come up in uh, um, uh, the uh, um, discussion uh, 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 since, uh, which are how far, how widespread was anti-Semitism in Poland during the Second World War, and to what extent was uh, the regime that was established in Poland after 1945 a regime controlled by the communist, by Jewish communists, and how far was it really a regime controlled by people who were uh, uh, compromised by their behaviour during the Second World War? Janusz argued it's rather the second rather than the first. Let me now say something about uh, the response to uh, what happened. Uh, certainly the debate on Yedvabne has been the most serious, uh, profound, and protracted on any issue of Polish-Jewish relations since the end of the Second World War. And the initial responses of the President, Alexander Krasniewski, the then Prime Minister, Jerzy Buzek, and the then Foreign Minister, Ladislav Bartoszewski, were entirely appropriate given the seriousness of the problems involved. The actions of the government in removing the monument which attributed the massacre uh, to the Germans and proposing to replace it with a more appropriate one accompanied by a suitable ceremony were also impressive. The responses of the political leaders differ somewhat in tone from Bartoszewski's explanation to an American audience of the steps that were going to be taken to investigate the massacre to Krasniewski's moving attempt to come to terms with the difficult truth. At the commemoration service, which was held in Yedvabne on the 60th anniversary of the massacre, Krasniewski observed, we express our pain and shame, we give expression to our determination in seeking to learn the truth, our courage in overcoming an evil past, our unbending will for understanding and harmony. Because of this crime, we should beg the shadows of the dead and their families for forgiveness. Therefore, today, as a citizen and as a president of the Republic, Polish Republic, I apologize. I apologize in the name of those Poles whose conscience is moved by that crime. An interesting and serious qualification, but these were entirely appropriate. So too, with some qualifications, was the, repose, the response of the church, although uh, the initial response of the primate was somewhat uh, more complicated. How far has this changed attitudes in Poland? Initially, I think one could be quite optimistic. Certainly, there was a widespread willingness to accept what had happened and a widespread willingness to come to terms with it. Recently, the situation has changed somewhat. And here, I mean, I'm not sure how the situation is, and I'd very much like to get Jan's response. But there are a number of new developments which I think need to be taken into account. Firstly, there is what one might call transition fatigue. 
17 years since the end of communism, nearly 18 years since the end of communism in Poland, many people are better off, but many people are not. And there is a sense of uh, the question, why is this the case? Secondly, the fact is that Poles, one of the principal objectives of the Polish political elites, whether at the right or left, was to get admission to the European and uh, 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 international structures, NATO and the European Union. This required a certain sense of restraint, and a sense of, that is no longer the case because Poland is part of these structures. This enables people to speak more freely. There's also been a political change in Poland. The last post-communist government compromised itself by its corruption and its crony capitalism. It's very much discredited. The uh, left has only about 13 or 14 percent of the vote in public opinion polls. The SLD is essentially self-destructive, and the right has come to power. This is not in itself a bad thing. The problem is that the right was divided, and uh, in order to hold power, the uh, present government has sought to win the support, and it has in its coalition, uh, several uh, extreme right-wing parties. This has created a, a new climate of appeal, which is problematic. And you can see this in the reception of Young's second book, which we'll discuss in the course. I haven't had time to say much about it. Um, firstly, there is now... Uh, there's been a debate in Poland about the nature of the transition in 89. Was this a rational compromise between two reasonable groups, or was this a sellout to the communists who are already weak? The second group is now, the second view is now much more strongly advocated, and the, what you might call the neo-nationalist neo-ende group of historians is much stronger both in the Institute for National Memory and elsewhere. When the Institute for National Memory published its volume on 1968, uh, which I think gives a pretty good account of 1968, the introduction, and he said the same on the radio, by a man called Jarin, one of these neo-Hendic historians, said that we reserve the right to question whether there was actually a conspiracy uh, behind what happened in Pilsen, which I think is uh, a very questionable issue. There is now a law on the statute which says that anybody who claims that uh, Poland, or the Polish nation, collaborated with the Nazis or the Soviets, said is guilty of a crime for which the penalty is three years in jail. The whole question of getting rid of the people with the communist past has taken a very nasty turn, the last aspect of which was the uh, forced resignation of the Archbishop of Warsaw. On that occasion, very viciously anti-Semitic statements were made by the people uh, at the church and in the movies of certain national agenda. So there is a certain transition fatigue, and it will be interesting to see how the response is to Young's new book, which looks at the further development of anti-Semitism, and in particular one of its worst post-war manifestations. I think that while all of the things that I've described are true, what is also important, and with this I'll conclude, uh, there has been a, a much greater scholarly base for the investigation of these events. I think that, for instance, the creation of the Center for Holocaust Studies in Warsaw is a very important development, and the journal which it's established is at a very high level. I think that one wants to separate the scholarly debate from the public reception. The public debates are generally, at a, you know, politicized historical debates generally don't lead anywhere. I believe ultimately that with Pierre-Henri de Passage that facts are stubborn things and that one needs to establish the facts and look at them carefully and clearly. The other aspects of this problem 
coming to terms with the past part much slower and will take place, but will take place in a different way. Uh, what is important is above all what is taking place at an elite level. That may be an overly optimistic position, but that is my view and I'll hand over to you. Introduction to a, to a conversation by itself. So uh, um, there is a whole um, bouquet of issues here, and I'll um, maybe respond to a few, uh, and, and then um, and then we'll see what happens. And probably we will run out of time. Um, as far as the one thing which which I find to be very interesting, uh, and uh, it's. Uh, uh, oh, it's an issue uh, that really stretches very far back uh, to the period of the, uh, of, of the Second World War and a kind of a manner in which uh, the, uh, the destruction of modern Jewry has been processed, as it were, in, uh, by the uh, surrounding uh, society processed. I, I mean by that uh, essentially recorded and then, uh, and then um, dealt with. Uh, but uh, it starts then in the, in the discussion that, uh, that Anthony presented, this issue of relationships between Poles and Jews uh, reappears once again in the in, uh, 1980s and, 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 and 90s, and then after the publication of Neighbors, uh, the big question uh, before us is uh, what do we attribute to the fact that these issues suddenly come up finally, and then that they are taken, uh, and uh, attention is focused on them, and uh, they are discussed. In 1980s, and, and I think uh, the, the statement uh, from Anthony is, is, is very good and important here. Uh, the, the, uh, the article that was published in Godnikovsek, a wonderful Catholic publication of uh, Krakow by by Jan Wonski really triggered an enormous amount of this early interest and, and, and focused conversation on the issue of Polish-Jewish relations. And by, by today's standards, it was, of course, very tame, but significant. And Andrew failed to mention, but what happened at the time was also a kind of an opening up of this dialogue within conferences of of scholars, we participated in, in, in several of those. And there, there were scholars from, from Israel, from America, from Poland that, that started meeting in various sites in Oxford, in Jerusalem. There was a very important meeting. Uh, one, one of the very important publications that came out of it was uh, uh, a collection, that the wonderful uh, volume that Anthony edited uh, with Wojcicki's uh, article and then a series of responses to it. And, uh, um, it came out in English. Uh, uh, really, there was a kind of a coming of minds, so to speak. This is a time also where an incredibly important uh, and moving documentary film has been made about the Kelce Pogrom by uh, Marcel Łoziński, which is called The Witnesses, in uh, 1987. 
uh, it was shown that one of these conflicts. Uh, let me say that at the same, so this, is, this was the focus of attention in a fairly small, uh, narrow milieu of uh, scholars, and moved the discussion considerably. Uh, I was part at the time of uh, a Vigre initiative which started uh, among, at the time, younger people who left uh, in 1968, uh, following the events of 1968 from Poland. Uh, we saw a period. Uh, which was called Annex. Uh, it was coming out for a number of years, first in Sweden, then in London. Uh, and um, it was a kind of a lame, parallel, uh, very modest um, statement that, that went uh, along the same uh, track that, uh, that uh, this formidable uh, publication of Kultura by Giedroyc, by Giedroyc, first established. Um, and one of the issues that we have published, it, it was actually before Moinsky's text, uh, was devoted to the discussion of, of this uh, of the subject of Polish Jewish relations. Several articles were written there. I wrote a piece which, uh, um, which later on uh, appeared in, in, a, in a book form as well. And a very important text was written also by uh, um, the editor of the journal at the time, Alexander Smolar, who later on uh, um, played a very important political role, in fact, Sort of returned after uh, 1989 um, with at least one leg to divided his time between Paris and, and, uh, and Warsaw and was a very close advisor to Prime Minister Mazowiecki at the time. We spoke, I think, in ways that went uh, several steps beyond, uh, so to speak, the discussion that, that came out in Wojcicki. Interestingly enough, it was not picked up by anyone. Even though it's the same milieu, actually, these articles were sent around. Bartoszewski uh, was one of the people who were supposed to respond to it. Uh, Jacek Kuron uh, as well. Um, and somehow it sort of petered out. I, I had a correspondence exchange at the time between Smola and, and Bartoszewski, and uh, uh, it, it involved a statement that Jan Józef Lipski had made, which was also a very important statement. Jan Józef Lipski, an incredibly significant figure in Polish opposition, and also in a kind of an opening towards uh, uh, confronting this uh, xenophobic tradition uh, that, that informed Polish politics. He, for, for those of you who, who, who read, uh, don't read Polish, uh, the, the, Lipski is the author of a, of, a, of a truly wonderful book about the Workers' Defense Committee, of which he was a founding member, uh, that, that played such an important role uh, in the 70s and 80s. And the foundation of solidarity movement. So, uh, what what stands to me as a very in, in, interesting question is, when is it that um, issues that turn out to be a very dramatic and uh, kind of a full of potentially that are very touchy, judging by how deeply the public gets at some point invested in them, when these issues somehow that make it to the surface? and become uh, uh, subjects of uh, uh, general discussion. In, in that sense, uh, of course, uh, uh, neighbors becomes a, uh, a kind of a very significant moment. Uh, it, it really uh, breaks through, and uh, um, the, the accumulated um, uh, sort of positions, issues, arguments, a, a variety of things that has been brewing in people's minds somehow spill out and, 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 and people feel very 
moved to Tracticula and to I was in fact that finally this was a book that that accomplished it, even though several texts had been written before, the kind of an awareness of it was in the air. And I had a very good answer, and, and I mean, it would be tempting to say that it was such a, a wonderful piece of writing, etc., etc. Uh, it's uh, a lot of very good pieces of writings have, have, been, uh, have been put down. Somebody uh, pointed out to me uh, an aspect of it, which um, I think maybe uh, to a large extent an answer to this. And, uh, and, and, uh, and this friend of mine said, you know, this is the, this CC phenomenon. When you send an email uh, to someone to do something, and then you write a CC to somebody who is uh, in the eyes of the person to whom you addressed it of some significance and importance, you immediately get answered. And <laughs> a lot of things happen that otherwise would not. In this case, she said, it was the fact of publication of this book in English. And in fact, when I think about it, uh, um, the, 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 uh, the discussion in, in Poland, I, I happened to be in Poland for, for, during the year after, uh, after it came out and was part of, of, the, of the very intense debate. It had a kind of a natural dynamic to it. And this natural dynamic was uh, um, predicated on two moments. One of them was the date of publication of this book in English, and it was spring of 2001. The book came out in, 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 uh, in late May of, of, of 2000. And then the other item, also a kind of a public event, it was the preparation for this public ceremony that was supposed to uh, took place, and we mentioned it in, in, in July on, on the uh, anniversary of the exact uh, <coughs> anniversary, uh, uh, July 10th uh, of 2001, in, in Yetvan. What would happen then? What kind of a uh, statement and a kind of an international response to it? There will be. So, uh, much as I would like uh, to sort of take credit for, for uh, mobilizing the kind of a uh, good and bad at the same time instincts of my uh, the compatriots, it seems to me that what, what really uh, made the difference here was uh, that this was a, a, a project where, um, in fact, there was this CC item on the, uh, on, on the book somehow. And, uh, um, I mean, several things happened at the time. You know, for, for example, just before the book came out in English, Polish uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs made a concerted effort to put out English translation of several um, articles that have come out already by then, by the spring of 2001, in, in the Polish debate. Uh, so, and, and Polish consulates have received these, uh, the, the, the book, uh, and, and they could distribute it freely. I may say also, parenthetically, that the Polish Ministry of Foreign Affairs has just published a book in English uh, of translations of uh, several articles that appeared in Polish uh, uh, periodicals and press uh, in, in response to fear, uh, most of them critical, some of them not so critical, uh, and uh, it's sort of available. Uh, it, it creates, uh, it, it created a, a kind of a, this is coming back to this issue that Anthony wanted to uh, put out namely the, 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 the phenomenon of reception. It already had a, a, a kind of an echo in the right-wing Catholic press where uh, one of the uh, most vociferous opponents of uh, um, 
really airing uh, this issue of Polish-Jewish relations. Uh, a fellow who just writes, uh, is a very prolific writer, and after the publication of Neighbors wrote a book which was called Secret uh, Lies of the Cross. Uh, now he published another book, which was in fact a, a kind of a compilation of 21 articles, very long, each of them, in, in the daily, the Dutch Jenny, uh, which is called Further Lies of Gross. It was a big piece, a big piece in which he uh, truly uh, went after this publication of Ministry of Foreign Affairs. But uh, and, and the issue there was why did they translate Iran? Uh, that were really critical of Gross. So, uh, you know, there is, there is a kind of a, uh, the, the public is ready, so to speak, and waiting, I think. And in the process of, uh, of producing this published translation, it's not an easy task, I must say. It's just, I'm, I'm, it's a very exhausting subject. And uh, um, it, it's very important to write it properly, too. You know, this is, this is an issue with which I, I became, uh, um, I'm very much aware of it, this, this first essay which I published in Annex. Uh, in, in, in the early issue of the 1980s, uh, I, I delivered it first as a, as a talk in, in, in English and, and somebody translated it. Uh, and actually it was, this was a horrific translation. Unfortunately it was not published in that form. It was sent around to people for discussion. So I, I later had to rewrite it. Now I'm writing it again and it's just it's a very painful process. Uh, it, but it will be out. It will be out in the, in the summer, uh, the Catholic uh, publishing house. Uh, Znak in Krakow is putting it out. It's a very, very good publishing house, and um, they uh, they are about to uh, publish an even more scandalous book by by, by, by a priest who had assembled uh, historical materials from uh, the archives of the secret police on collaboration of priests in the in the Krakow area, uh, and, uh, and uh, you can imagine that this this whole story. Uh, will we'll generate quite a discussion. Um, it's, I mean, there are too many uh, important questions here to raise. I will only say that the discussion following Neighbors was extraordinarily profound and deep. Um, I, uh, since the, well, I, I can actually get into this question of how many people were killed and, and uh, the, the, the investigation of uh, the issue of national memory, I mean, this is uh, a very lucky circumstance for, for, for me, and I think for Poland, that, that the man who was in charge of the issue of national memory at the time was a man of just impeccable integrity as a public servant, and uh, that the, these two huge volumes uh, that were published, uh, some of it were studies, and the other uh, documents, uh, were really uh, produced with, with tremendous attention to, to uh, fairness in detail. What's going on now, this Institute of National Memory, as Antony mentioned, this is the, the, a slew of ethnic historians uh, um, took it over and, and, it, and it led even to a scandalous piece uh, of, of, of this new fellow uh, who, who, who is in charge of the Bureau of National Education, who publishes ex officio introduction to a, to a volume that has been prepared before, and in fact, this uh, undermines the, 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 the text of this volume uh, on the, on the Polish Jewish relations during the war. Uh, one of the reviewers called it, uh, I mean, literally scandalous. Um, so if they were in charge at the time, the Institute of National Memory would have produced a very bizarre, uh, I think, findings 
uh, uh, indeed. The, 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 how many people have been killed? This is the investigation that has been uh, carried out by, uh, by a, a sort of investigatory branch. Uh, again, a very decent man who, who, who conducted it. Uh, it to, to a large extent, it was left up uh, in the air. It's, uh, they said it's very unlikely that, that 1,600 people had been killed there. But if you look at the depositions of, that were made during the trial um, in 1949, there are several statements from people, uh, and, and most of them come uh, uh, from Poles, from, uh, from Polish witnesses, or uh, those who were in some ways implicated. Uh, and, and all of them sort of point out, uh, they say, 1,500 something, 1,600 something, 1,200. So it's just a matter of how many Jews there were in the apartment at the time. One cannot say very specifically how many exactly. But all the evidence we have from the period is uh, that this is more or less the ballpark figure. Uh, and uh, even though some demographic studies had been, and, and there's a big demographic essay in, but it's, it's totally unconvincing. I, I don't want to go into, into it. And, and of course, as, as he says, it doesn't matter. 800 people or 1,600 killed there. Uh, it's, it's, it's the same story. But uh, um, to, be, to be frank, uh, there, is, there is no good grounds to say that there haven't been. One thing is, uh, has not been contested by anybody, that this was essentially an effort and, and a, to a large extent successful of killing everybody who was there. So uh, again, if, uh, if only 800 had been killed, part of the discussion had to do with the size of the barn and how many people can be put in. If, if uh, not that many people have been burned in the barn, then a lot of people have been killed in just individual episodes in which uh, uh, local peasants chased the uh, local troops and then uh, simply killed them with uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, handheld implements, so to speak. Um, so this is, uh, um, I, I mean, I, I will, it was very lucky, it, it seems to me, that, that, uh, that, that the book uh, uh, could have had such a scrutiny, and, and indeed it was just unbelievably detailed and, uh, uh, and stand up to it. The next one will be much more complicated, of course, it's not a, it's an interpretive piece, and uh, I expect uh, to get a lot of flag, so to speak, and, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, that's the way it goes. So to speak. Uh, let me finally say one word uh, also about, about the, the, the kind of a, Andrew mentioned uh, that in, in this uh, early discussion that, that took place of this issue uh, <clears throat> in the 1980s, it was not historians who took part. It was mostly ethicists, uh, uh, literary scholars, um, sociologists, uh, anthropologists. I must say that as far as discussion of, of uh, uh, neighbors is concerned, the most interesting voices also came from outside of the uh, I don't know what to attribute it to. Uh, um, there were some very good, and, 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 and there are some wonderful historians who do who, uh, who do great work now uh, in the field and, and who lay out uh, lots of uh, new facts, especially that center that, that, that he mentioned on the study uh, of the Holocaust with with a with new yearly publication, Zagwada uh, Jews: The Destruction, the Holocaust of the Jews. Uh, there are some stunning pieces. In the first issue there was um, fantastic work. Uh, and, uh, and I would say there is a half a dozen of historians who have absolutely no qualms addressing any subject in a, in a totally open-minded way uh, in, in, in this domain. So in that sense, 
<laughs> there is a lot to be expected. But big historians who are public intellectuals in Poland, and, and history is a very important field in that way, who speak quite often on television, have not spoken very prolifically or, or very intelligently on this, uh, uh, I must say. And in a, in a way uh, uh, which, uh, which I find to be very regrettable, the, the, the public forum has been given to uh, this new crop of uh, uh, sort of nationalistically tinted uh, uh, scholars, while uh, in, in, a, in a previous generation of, uh, of historians, there is just uh, several of the brilliant intellectuals of, of a completely different uh, um, kind of a, a political persuasion. Uh, they did not step up to the plate, and uh, um, with few exceptions and, and, and kind of occasional statements, but it was very difficult. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping that it's literary historians, anthropologists, and, uh, and young historians, uh, and literary critics like Głowiński and others, or Maria Jana, for example, uh, who will um, pick up uh, the, the story and, uh, and, and carry it further. since there's a lot of implicit dialogue already in the two presentations. Um, it would be nice to open up from the floor, unless you'd like to... Um, no. i just make one okay. point. Just a point. Be aware of the audibility. Can you hear at the back? No, I, I'll just ask that because Jan asked at the end why Polish historians haven't involved themselves in this debate. I, I think that there's a Polish historiography which essentially is tradition was heavily positivistic in the German sense. And this positivistic, that is fact-based uh, historiography, was intensified in the Soviet period, or the stock in the communist period, because the history continued in this period. But the way in which people continued to write history was by writing heavily fact-based studies with introductions which made the compulsory basis to Marxism and Leninism, and without conclusions, because if you had a conclusion, you spelled out what you were saying. And this had a very bad effect on the way in which historical scholarship developed. I, I just made that comment. Well, I, I will be the traffic. Yes, uh, please. I don't want to be a cop of any kind. How much shall I be? Traffic control. That's better. Okay, and so Gus, which uh, gentleman in the blue um, people? Okay, so Gus, please. Gus Ray. Uh, Gus, could, could, could you maybe stand up so I'm sensitive to people being able to hear? I have two questions. One is that to talk about the two episodes, one during the German occupation, one after the war. I'm just saying what happened before World War II. I know I lived in Germany, I've German Jew in Germany, and I remember a lot of Polish Jews streamed from Poland to Germany to escape the war. So this anti Semitism. Poland has a long history, just like any Semitism in Germany has a long history. I'd like to hear a little more about the causes of Polish and Semitism. I know a little bit about the causes of German and Semitism. I'd like to hear about Polish and Semitism. Second uh, question has to do with the role of the church. Uh, I went to Poland uh, in the 90s looking for a history from relatives of mine who had last been seen in Poland. We went looking for a place, and there we saw a 
I'm already praying that the church was very isolated before from my middle sample. I wonder what the work of the church has been through all these three So the, the questions are for the back of the room. The first one is a question about, from the point of view of someone who grew up in Germany, what was the, were the pre-war origins of Polish anti-Semitism? And the second question, what was, has been the role of the Catholic Church in Poland in relation to anti-Semitism? Jan will talk about the Catholic Church. I'll say a few words about anti-Semitism. Um, the problem with the way in which Polish-Jewish relations developed in the interwar period was that as a result of the failure to transform the Jews in the 19th century within the Polish-speaking areas into citizens or subjects of the Polish nation, in other words, Poles of the Jewish faith, by the end of the 19th century, Jews themselves in these areas defined themselves nationally as Jews and were seen by the surrounding population as a separate national group. There were some exceptions, people who were Polonists, Jan's family is one example, uh, but the percentage of colonized Jews who thought of themselves as Poles was perhaps 10% higher in Galicia than elsewhere in Poland. What this meant was that in the interwar period, what Jews were looking for in Poland was both individual rights, the rights guaranteed as citizens, but also group rights, the rights to have their own educational system, the right to use their own language in the courts and elsewhere. And as we know, it's much more difficult to guarantee group rights than individual rights. If you periodize the interwar period, between 18 and 21, 1918 and 21, when there was the struggle to establish the borders of Poland, there were conflicts because uh, Jews uh, wanted either to be neutral in these conflicts, for instance, in the town of Lviv, they wanted to be neutral in the Polish-Ukrainian conflict, or in the town of Vilna or Vilnius, they took the Lithuanian side. They were also identified by some Poles as big of the Bolsheviks. Between 21 and 26, you had a parliamentary system. It started with a rather difficult situation for the Jews, but from about 24, 25, in particular, the Prime Minister, Vladislav Grabski, reached an agreement in Polish, the Ugoda, with the Jewish club, which, by which the Jews recognized the borders of Poland, the 1921 borders, and in return, a set of concessions were made. There's some argument about how this agreement was implemented, but I take a more positive view than some of the other writers on this. And this policy was continued under Pilsudski. Pilsudski came to power in a coup in May 1926. He could be defined as an anti-anti-Semite. His political opponents, the Indesia, were the anti-Semites. He was attacked, his, he was married twice. His second wife was not a Jew or a Jewish woman. She was, but they had to be married in a Protestant church because there was no divorce. So she was always referred to as Judovka and his daughters as Judovki, uh, which he resented very much. But uh, he also took the view that Poland was a Poland of all the neighbor groups which were in it, including the Ukrainians. Uh, we have Tim Snyder in the audience who wrote about Yuzevsky, who was part of this attempt to reach out to the Ukrainians. This situation changed around 1935. After 1935, after the death of Pilsudski, the situation of Jews in Poland deteriorated seriously, and there were three reasons for this. One was the successful conquest of power by the Nazis in Germany, and the fact that they were able, without much opposition from the outside world, to take action against one of the best integrated and most prosperous Jewish communities in Europe. This was a terrible example to everybody else. And moreover, the Nazis also financed anti-Semitic activity in Poland, both among Volksdeutsche, but also among some uh, uh, Polish groups. Secondly, there was a struggle for power among the successors of Pilsudski. 
Some wanted to return to a parliamentary system, the President Wojcicki was one of these. Others wished to win over the support of the younger nationalists by creating something in Poland similar to the fascist or semi-fascist regimes which were emerging all over Europe. And part of this was the adoption of an anti-Semitic policy. When this uh, political movement was established by uh, uh, Colonel Kotz, the so-called Camp of National Unity in Polish Oslo, uh, it said that no Jews could be members. And anti-Semitic education was now increasingly used by the government. One of the biggest links for the government was Boleslaw Piasecki, who played a rather negative role as a Catholic collaborator with the communists after 1944. Thirdly, the Great Depression in Poland lasted at least until 1936 because the Polish government pursued a policy of keeping the, the Zloty stable, which would be one of its main achievements. This, of course, keeping a high currency is a way of preserving unemployment. And so there was very high unemployment. The Depression was extremely severe in Poland, 25% fall in the GNP between 29 and 33. And the easy solution to this problem was to say, well, the unemployment is caused by all these Jews, so Jews should leave. So from after 35, anti-Semitic agitation spread very widely. And it spread particularly widely in the Yilvatnaya area of this. This was a strongly nationalist area. And there is a very good piece in the Yilvatnaya volume on the rise of anti-Semitism after 1935. Um, the question of how people fleeing to Germany, that's a little earlier. In fact, what happened, you know, in 1938, the Kristallnacht was provoked, as you know, by the fact that uh, there were 30,000 Jews in, Poland, in Germany with Polish passports. And the German government kept saying we're going to expel them. And the Polish government was nervous about this, so it took away from these Jews their Polish passports and the right to return to Poland. The Germans then expelled them, and that's what precipitated Herschel Grinchman's attack on von Rath. But uh, this, of course, was not a friendly act on, on, on either side. Uh, <clears throat> very, very, very quickly on, on the role of the church in these <clears throat> episodes. <clears throat> In the case of Yedvatnaya, deceased by now a friend of mine, uh, who a priest, a remarkable person from Krakow, Stanislaw Muschel, said at one point in discussions over these issues that the place for the priest of Yedvatnaya was in the barn with the Jews. That's where he should have been if he were true to his. Uh, vocation, if you will. Uh, and this was not the case. The, 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 the priests in this area in particular, starting with the local bishop, were uh, very vociferously uh, anti-Semitic. They were voting for, and very actively so, uh, um, uh, for Endezia, for the, for the National uh, Democrats, and, and were active in all kinds of anti-Jewish episodes that were uh, took place before the war and during the war were just utterly not, 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 not helpful. Uh, there is in the volume that, that's published by the Institute of National Memory an incredibly interesting um, memoir of, of a woman from a neighboring town, of a Jewish woman, from a neighboring town of Rajiv, who actually a very similar uh, uh, act of mass murder takes place three days before the attack. Um, she is there, uh, survives with her family in the end, and, and makes that deposition in 1946 in Yad Vashem. Uh, and, and she describes it, uh, among other things, the process of negotiations that went on between the Jewish community there. She, this was a fairly wealthy family, and, uh, and she was involved in these negotiations. With uh, various important figures in town on the Polish side, because they, 
a kind of a atmosphere uh, was increasingly uh, frightening, and and the, and 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 the assaults on Jews were kind of. Uh, uh, coming up, if you wish, in intensity, but before that final assault, where they were all killed, uh, took place. And in, including conversation with the priest, and the priest is just utterly uh, unwilling to do anything. It just says, you know, we know that all of you are communists, and uh, uh, I'm not going to intervene on, on your behalf. Just, it's going, he was ready to help one or two families, and including her family in the end, but, but would not act. Uh, on behalf and, and, and kind of intercede with the Polish population. The church, uh, the church's position vis-à-vis uh, -vis the program after the war in 1946 uh, is uh, um, um, very uh, uh, bad as well. I mean, I described it in the book. And, uh, uh, it's uh, essentially clergy is anti-Semitic. One of the elements of that of that program is the rumor that at the time, uh, immediately after the war, Poland had really wide circulation of uh, ritual murder that takes place, of, of uh, Christian children being killed, uh, so the Jews can harvest the, the blood. And several of Polish bishops, actually two, uh, are on record uh, at, at that time uh, saying that one of them, uh, in fact, straightforwardly, uh, that such uh, a thing took place in Kielce, the other uh, 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 saying, well, the, 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 this issue is un unclear yet. And the British ambassador at the time, uh, who had some of these conversations, the Brits were very worried, of course, because under the impact of this program, there was this huge flight of Jews who were eventually trying to, uh, so they, uh, they were worried to have a kind of a population pressure of Palestine, which was still a mandatory responsibility for the Britain. Uh, he had a lot of conversations with very high uh, uh, officials of the church and, and writes cables to the foreign office, uh, which deplores anti-Semitism of, of that. But there is one, there is one exception. Of this wonderful statement that's been made by the Bishop of Czestochowa uh, at the time, and then uh, two months later, this, this is an episode that takes place in July, and uh, in, in, in September there is a meeting of Polish bishops of the Episcopal, and there is a collective letter of the Episcopal in which they essentially uh, protest and censor the man who had made this statement uh, uh, in, uh, in July. So they are on record, uh, the Polish, Polish Church representatives, if you will, the hierarchy of the Polish Church, uh, as uh, uh, just uh, the record is, is terrible. Uh, on my list is next uh, Uta Frayer, then Trovanets, then Jonathan in the blue sweater, and then I'll put you on your list. Yes. Um, Cheryl. Yes. Okay. Uta? Uta Frayer. Question and question goes to you now. I learned from your book that before this book came out, actually there was a film made by Anesha Anu on which the same incident that you and your describes the one. So I wonder um, why this film, obviously being broadcast on Polish television and documentary, did not make the same splash as your book. Because normally we attribute the film to more uh, public residents than legible. Uh, so what actually made it? The remark uh, is on language. I learned from Professor Polonsky uh, today that there are these long standing definitions, ethnic divisions of uh, not thinking of themselves as primary Poles, but Jews within the Polish 
what you want to hold against Jews. Um, and I wonder if we as scholars should not make an attempt to you know, move beyond the contemporary um, universe of people, contemporary mindset who think of themselves as either Poles or Jews, but as scholars today try to be, to have a more distance view and talk about Catholic Poles and Jewish Poles instead of talking about Poles and Jews. Very quickly about Agnes Arnold's film. There are two films that she had made. One of them was put out before the story of Yedvabne, the book uh, Neighbors was, was published. Uh, and uh, this, was, this was a film uh, that was, it was a very general film on the, the, the question of the Polish-Jewish relations with essentially interviews with a lot of people who, who are usually interviewed in this uh, uh, context. And at some point in that film, there is a mention uh, that uh, uh, the killing of the Jews uh, by Poles took place in Yedva. This is not really a film on Yedva. This is, and it's just a sentence. So unless, unless somebody, and then, uh, but, but her documentary, and she was, I don't want to say by this that she was not aware of this matter. She was aware of this matter, and actually she had the presence of mind before I did uh, to to go to Yedva and to. Uh, to investigate this matter seriously. We both read independently the position of the man who survived, and it's just a striking deposition, but she was clever enough to take it seriously, go there, and actually very quickly discover, because people there would speak openly about that this is indeed something that has taken place. And then she started working on the film. But her documentary film came out about a year after the book. It literally came in April of 2001, it's an important date because it, it's before, for example, the, the, the public event that took place in July uh, and so forth. But on, so on television, it was shown in April. It, it was, I think, two consecutive nights, uh, a, a one hour program each time, very powerful. Uh, and, and it made a, a, quite, a, quite a big difference then there was uh, I remember on television immediately afterwards kind of a discussion in which the head of the Institute of National Memory took place as well. Very important one. So, yes, it, it was there. Let me make an administrative intervention here. If we could, there are lots of people who want to ask questions. So I just want to talk about Poles and Jews, which we should Oh, okay. If, but if, we could, if we could just yeah. be brief yeah. to have yeah. as many as possible. Jan said that one of the heroes of this episode was Leon Keres. And Leon Keres was awarded the George Price, St. George Price. St. George apparently no longer exists, but he's still seen as a symbol of the person who fights evil. And when Father Wojniewski, the editor of the Konikoshevny, awarded him the prize, he said that uh, as director of the International Memory, you're often attacked because all you've done is investigate crimes which have been committed against Poles, not crimes which have been uh, crimes which have been committed by Poles, not crimes which have been committed against Poles. And your great virtue is that you saw, which none of us really perceived, that the Jews of Yedvabne were Poles. Poles of a different faith and of a different ethnicity, but Polish citizens and Poles nonetheless. 
<laughs> that's absolutely right. But the problem is that there are a lot of words that historians use which are defective. Pogrom and anti-Semitism are just two. And Jews and Poles are also highly problematic. But to keep using paraphrases makes the stuff unreadable. And you really can't avoid using these terms. But one needs to make the qualification at the outset, I think, which you've already made. Um, gentleman in the blue sweater, whose name I think The presentations are fascinating. I know that the two of you don't do this, but in the lay public, simplistically, too often, the history of Jews and Poland is portrayed in terms of the deaths of the Holocaust, the footnotes in many places like Bobnak and Kilchik. The question that I have is, particularly since the publication of the book, since the discussion of Bobnak, as you know, the life of the Jews in Poland before the war was incredibly rich, and I don't mean financially, but in terms of culture and religion and, and vitality. Has your book and the, and the discussion that it followed, has that contributed to any discussion of the sense of a loss within Poland of that richness? That's part A of my question, part B. I know that there is you know, work in a book to create a, a museum in Warsaw for history of Jewish life. Do you see that as playing any role or anything meaningful in this discussion? Uh, just that uh, there has been. I, I don't know that this, uh, this discussion and, and, and application of neighbors had any impact on it, but I must say that there has been, uh, for as long as I remember, and uh, certainly since 1989 when I started going to Poland again, there is a visible and, and very uh, intense, if you wish, interest on the part, I mean, obviously, of of just general Polish public in, uh, in, in the Jewish life in Poland. If you go to a bookstore, you'll find a number of uh, Judaica, uh, uh, you know, albums, etc. I mean, uh, you probably have been there, so you, you know it. And then there is the other phenomenal, to my mind, uh, uh, um, event that takes place every year in Krakow. Uh, it's unique, as far as I can tell. And this is the International Festival of Jewish Culture. Uh, and about a, a two-week, a ten-day event. Uh, every musician from New York who has anything to do with with klezmer, uh, uh, I mean klezmer in, in, in this new folk klezmer, if you wish, uh, goes there and finds it just absolutely uh, stimulating and, and invigorating. And it's an event in which the whole town, in some way, participates. That's nationally televised at the end, you know. It's, in the last few years, the weather was good, but it used to be, uh, several years ago, that in the last uh, um, concert where everybody plays, all the bands and all the musicians, it's held in an open space in what was the Jewish section of time, the town, Kashimir, kind of a, it's called street, but it's fact, it's a huge square, and it's packed with people. Uh, but there used to be rain. Year after year, it didn't make any difference. People just stayed and the umbrellas danced, and uh, and these were not just phony imported uh, uh, Jews, so to speak. I mean, there were some of them real Jews, some of them phony Jews, and, and a lot of local people. It's just it 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 has a place now in life of this city, which is a very important city uh, in, in in Polish life. And I think that this that this museum is is, is part of a. Of course, of the same of the same spirit of renewed uh, interest. Galen, uh, please, Galen Panov. 
see somebody like Janusz Kadar 
that Qatar is sort of worse than Rakushi now. Uh, the same, this is part of what is going on, and this makes some of the self-critical attitudes which uh, are necessary for the sort of debates which are provoked by the work that Jan has been doing more difficult to achieve. There is also the sense, was articulated by the, minister, the previous Minister of Education before Gerti, that we need something in our past about which we can be proud. I mean, this is the same issue which came up in the historical shot. I think these debates are up to a point cyclical. And there is a sense in Poland that uh, what can we need to have something in our past which we can feel good about? And if everything is bad, if we were just, uh, if the Polish myth of Poland, the martyr, and here of the nations is all false, what is left? I think those are the issues here. Charles? Okay. So just to sort of follow up on this question, um, Professor Gross, you mentioned that some of the public intellectuals are becoming more uh, nationalistic than before. So I was wondering, in Polish society, as in Eastern European countries, with the collapse of communism and the joining of the EU, it would be, it seemed to me that there's tremendous socio-economic and political changes in Polish society. And with the influx, now that Poland joined the EU, and the influx of foreign capital and the gentrification of urban areas, how, how does the old anti-Semitism, which seems structured in Polish society, how is the, the Jew being portrayed, given all this sort of turmoil in, in, in Polish society? Yeah, I mean, in, in, in the old days, that, that actually was a Jew portrayed. Today, that isn't a Jew. It's, 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 it's a literary fiction, so to speak. And, and actually, it's a, it's a discussion and it's a debate about the past. And if I mentioned that uh, public intellectuals, historians, uh, as public intellectuals, now that's taking part openly in the debates, writing in the daily newspapers and so forth, uh, have shifted, it's, it's not that people change their minds, but it's that those who had previously been vociferous, very visible, um, active, and listened to, uh, don't write that much anymore. What, what had taken place also is that a kind of a, a center of gravity of recognized and visible um, newspapers and, and public fora has shifted. Uh, so that, for instance, really a, 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 a highly objectionable daily newspaper, which is called Our, Our Daily, and that's xenophobic and, and just silly and, and very, uh, very kind of a, a populistic Catholic. Uh, uh, strangely, it, it, become, it became a kind of a government, uh, 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 the preferred forum for government officials to give interviews, you know. It's, uh, so, and the, the, with the change of, 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 of crew at the Institute of National Memory, and suddenly this complete obsession with uh, the uh, uh, files of the secret police and, and historians, one after another, from the current uh, uh, a politicized group, the Institute of National Memory, kind of appearing on television and, and saying, well, yes, this, this document, I think it's authentic and this is not authentic. They, I mean, suddenly they just give you a, kind of a certificate of propriety, uh, uh, so to speak, uh, um, just out of a hat, so to speak. And this is what happened, you know. And um, to what extent it has to do with the with a coming uh, to Europe, I don't know, but maybe Anthony's uh, intuition is right. That there was a period. First of all, it was the, the old generation, the generation of those who have really, uh, who were architects of the change. They uh, had a task, 
and understood that it's an unfinished business of bringing the problem within the institutions, NATO first, and then uh, the European community. And, uh, and and they were very they were very mobilized, and they and they did. And then they kind of pulled back, and this and this new new crew uh, moved in uh, with a vengeance. And it's just it's a bizarre spectacle. One second, I'm going to interview now administratively because I realize everyone in this room is freezing. That's number one. Mm -hmm. And everyone wants to go home and have dinner. Yeah. So I propose, before any long disquisitions, there are two more people on my list <coughs> of questions. Let these two people ask their questions briefly, and then if there are any thoughts and response, and then we'll all go home and sit around the stove. <laughs> this is Yale, and for some reason they can't eat this room. Or maybe it's because they know we're talking about Eastern Europe. Europe. <laughs> so, we should, so we should be mimetically cold. So I think this gentleman, the first row has a question, and then the gentleman in the gray sweater, and then a brief response. Both questions. Yes, both questions, one after the other, and then um, we'll go jump around and recirculate. Uh, my name is Charles Chutkowski. I'm from Fairfield. I have more of a comment than a question. I complied with your instructions and read Professor Polonsky's paper before I came. And I'm here to say that I agree with just about everything in it, excepting for one thing, where he, he states that relatively few Jews now consider the Poles as bad as the Germans. I, I do have to disagree. I think the proportion of those who are hostile to the Poles is greater than you say. I have also read both Fear and Neighbors by Professor Gross, and then there are many things I disagree with, which of course I, I do not have time to listen. I will merely observe that one could make a good defense for the behavior of the Catholic Church at the time of the Celts of Pogrom. Uh, I think it is unfortunate that in this country, where we have a lot of Polish Americans, you don't hear from us very much. Uh, just about every review of fear that appeared in the major newspaper, I was very hostile to the Poles. Uh, most of them were written by Jewish professors, as a matter of fact. Uh, the one for the New York Times resurrected Yitzhak Shabir's uh, old canard about Poles sucking in anti-Semitism with their mother's milk. Uh, for which I wrote um, a letter to the Times. I also sent them a correction. They deep-sixed my letter and published the correction as my letter. So that was their way of handling it. Quick question. Uh, Professor Gross has talked about a takeover of the IPN, the Institute of National Remembrance. Uh, what is his opinion of their volume on the Celts of the Thank you. Uh, gentleman in the gray sweater. Yes, I was wondering if you know why in the room <laughs> uh, my question is more about why do you think briefly some of the reasons why anti-Semitism has persisted today in Poland, to whatever degree it exists, after the Holocaust and And briefly, I was actually in Krakow this summer, went to the music festival, husband music, which was great. Also went on a tour to Auschwitz, which was run by a city agency, and I was struck during that tour how the guy insisted that the Poles had been equal victims of the Nazis and really had not participated in, in all the activities leading up to the Holocaust. And I was wondering if you know if any kind of education and if there any changes Well, I will make one comment on the last comment before we go on. I was in Auschwitz this summer, too. And I had a Polish guy who was wonderful. 
She was about 40 years old. She had beautiful English. She understood that there were many different victims of different kinds and not necessarily equivalent, but each one having its own story and its own problem attached to it. So I think if you're going to go anecdotal, there's a certain danger in that, and you can find examples of, you can find some examples which, um, they go in different directions. So I just, I'm just throwing out an anecdote. Um, I, I, on, on that question, there is, of course, an international committee for the State Museum at the University at Auschwitz concentration camp, which has tried very hard to deal with the question of training guides adequately and having proper signage. I, I was on that commission when I was still in England. I know a lot of the people are still on it. I think they're doing a very good job. I think the people in the museum in particular Mrs. Shrivotska, the director of the museum, have done a very good job. The museum published this very good little pamphlet on the actual victims. I think that you know we, we now have figures which are also more or less accepted by Yad Vashem. About 1.1 million uh, people probably, this is a low figure, this is the determined guide in Auschwitz, about 960,000 of them were Jews, 75,000, I mean, using these terms which uh, we can't get rid of, 75,000 were Poles, another 15,000 were City and Rom, 20,000 were, I mean, were Soviet prisoners, another 15,000 were Western Europeans. We, this is well known, and you can read by this material in English in the, the bookshop at the, at, at, the, at the museum in Auschwitz. Things are much better there than they were. Uh, um, Antony uh, did mention one item uh, on, on the sort of Auschwitz scene. Uh, one of his students is now in charge of, uh, uh, of, the, of one of the kind of research centers that is, that is permanently stationed there, so uh, things are getting better and better. And, uh, and as far as the, as the volume that is published by IBN on Kielce, it's a, it's, it's a good volume, the, the, the documents there uh, are, 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 are good, but the, the introductory essay by the, by the current head of the Institute's uh, Bureau of Education is scandalous. So, uh, I'd like to make a point about the reception here, uh, which is relevant to Poland and it's also sort of key to young. It is a pity that the wrong people were asked to review it. I think that the scholarly reviews in the American in the Slavic review made much better. We're also going to have a symposium which Jan will contribute also in volume 22 of Poland. But I, I think that what is very important about, we haven't had a chance to discuss here, but what is very important about here, which is really a set of essays rather than a, a single book, is the first chapter, which does document very fully uh, the subjects of Poles in the sense which we've been using this term during the Second World War. Uh, shows how the Poles were betrayed by the Western Allies, shows how the Poles suffered that. Soviet hands. That's very important for an American and a Western audience to read, and it's all there, uh, something that wasn't in Neighbors. And I think that it is important for that to be in Polish. I know you're going to say everybody knows this in Poland, but I don't know that you say it. And from a public relations point of view, it is extremely important to have that in the Polish edition of Neighbors. I know that you're going to agree. I'm going to be the traffic controller again because not everyone in this audience is aware of all these details and so on. Um, and I'll, I'll just make one comment also about, I, I hope we have more time talking about fear. Fear is a gruesome description of what happened in Caltech, but there's a very interesting argument here. And since it's past the time at the end, we won't have to be able to discuss it. But part of the argument in this book is, and maybe it's well made or not well made, that the Poles felt guilty. 
that there is a public conscience about what happened in the war. So it is really dangerous to oversimplify books, especially when we haven't read them, especially when it's after the end of the symposium. But there's, I want to thank, before we leave, there's an announcement about the next uh, event in this series, but I just, before, before letting you say that, I want to thank both of you for coming. Ladies and gentlemen, just very, Thank you. And just very briefly, next week at the same time at 415 in room 101 in the same building, there's an important uh, seminar by Egal Karman, who's going to be speaking about uh, Ahmadinejad and the Iranian situation, so from one Holocaust to Holocaust denier. I think it's a very important uh, lecture. Uh, next week, and also on behalf of our program, I'd like to thank you, Professor Engelstein, and the speakers for a wonderful event. Thank you all.